Are you tired of your content not getting the reach it deserves? Change that at Grow With Video Summit. From May 23rd through the 25th, join industry leaders like Gary Vee, Ali Abdal, Patrick Bet David, Cody Sanchez, and more for strategies that will elevate your visibility and engagement. So go to summit.thinkmedia.com to secure your ticket. Just click the link in the description or go to summit.thinkmedia.com. Do less of what you like and more of what you love. That's one of the keys to mastery. Like, I like three hours of Netflix. But dude, I love holding a finished book in my hand. People who are living with purpose are scientifically happier. They're scientifically more connected to relationships. So a lot of this is going, okay, I need a purpose. I always tell people, you have access to time machines. They're called mentors. I'm the CEO of my actions, not the CEO of my outcomes. Welcome back to the Think Media Podcast. Today, our special guest, John Acuff, is going to be breaking down some tips for 2024. We're going to be learning some science-backed principles for making 2024 your best year. We're going to discover some of the mistakes people make with goals that keep them stuck. We're also going to learn some insights from John on how he's built a globally influential brand using content. And if you're just meeting John, he's the best-selling author of nine books, already working on his 10th. Inc. Top 100 Leadership Speakers. He has spoken for companies like FedEx, Range Rover, Microsoft, Nokia, and Comedy Central, based in Nashville with his wife and two daughters. And check out the show notes because this is not John's first time on the podcast and he always drops value. Mm -hmm. But welcome back for this episode, John. How's it going? It's great to see you again, Sean. I love getting to hang out with you. I love hanging out with you. We're going to be diving into goal setting. It's a perfect time of the year to be doing that. But anytime, it's always a good, doesn't have to be January 1st, doesn't have to be New Year's, always a good time to get locked in with your goals. But before we kind of unpack some things, I'm looking for a quick tip. What is one quick tip for being more effective in 2024? Well, uh, one quick tip would be write it down. I think it's a good, a good filter of if you're going to actually do something is if you'll take two minutes to write it down. So if you tell me I've got a bunch of goals and I go, I'd love to see the list. And you go, I don't have a list. Like a lot of them are in my head. I'll go, I don't think you're going to do them. So do the easy thing of write it down. A lot of people don't do do that. And then they keep a goal in their head and they forget the goal. So I touch my goals a thousand times a year. They're not in a drawer. They're on my wall. They're on my phone there. I have a lot of different places I've written them down. So just a simple action can be write it down. Like it's easier to get your goals done when you've actually written them down. And when you say you touch your goals, do you mean like Ted Lasso has the team jump up and hit the believe sign? Dude, I do everything. I like, I'm the guy now, like I'm a very cynical, jaded, sarcastic guy, but I'm willing to try anything when it comes to a goal to see if it works. And so I used to make fun of people that would have like a positive note on their bathroom mirror. And now I'm like, no, that, that actually turns out every high performer I talk to, if you get them off the mic and go, Hey, you doing anything that's like maybe a little unusual? They all have things they're doing. They just a lot of times don't talk about them. So no, yeah, I'm like, I don't care if it's a t-shirt I'm wearing. Like, here's the thing, Sean, I'll give you one example of this. There was a study done by NYU where they took two groups of college students. One group, they said, here's a bunch of words, make some sentences. The next group, they gave the same instruction, but their words, they had hidden words in there related to being old, retired, bald, slow, Florida. And so then after half an hour, they go, we want you to walk down the hall and take the other part of the test. And that's when the real test started because they secretly timed the students as they walked. And the students who had read the words about being old physically walked slow 
slower. Just reading words about being old made them unknowingly act old. So my interpretation of that, which is interesting, is when you have, like I saw somebody the other day had on their nightstand a sign that said, I can't adult today. Can you imagine what that does to you? Like if you wear a shirt that says, I'm sorry I'm late, I didn't want to come, I can't adult today, you're telling yourself a hundred times, you can't perform. You're not good. We have a whole series of depression and sadness wear at department stores that say you're inadequate. You should stay inadequate. Don't try. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, nah, I'm going to like, I need a lot of notes. I, I need a lot of techniques. But I think culturally, we're in a spot where people have really accepted um, average and we haven't recognized it's being marketed to us. So write it down and then do all kinds of things to reinforce it. Touch your goals a thousand times a year. We're going to be diving into insights from your new book. All it takes is a goal, but I actually want to go high level. What are your predictions yeah. for 2024 as specifically a content creator, podcaster, putting your video podcast on YouTube and generally thinking about you're in the info business, education business, yeah. you coach leaders. And a lot of people listening to this are in that same vantage point. So as you think about, we, we talked back during COVID that disrupted your business um, oh, yeah. took all of your on the road speaking engagements, had you at home. You're always, of course, going to be looking at the landscape for you. What are maybe whatever you would want to answer the question, predictions, positioning, moves you're making, hedges you're making, risks you're taking 2024, John A. Cuff. Uh, that, that's a great question. Um, I would say one thing I'm doing is I'm getting around wise people. Um, I always tell people, you have access to time machines. They're called mentors. They've been to the future you're trying to get to and will tell you about it if you ask. And so I'm deliberately carving out more and more time to get around people that I go, wow, they've got the kind of life I want to have in 12 years. I want to end up there. What did they do? So I'm, I'm adding more time for real relationships. Um, the second thing is I'm paying attention to price. I'm really paying attention to price because for the last few years, there's been free money in the marketplace. There's been money just given out. And now I don't think we're talking enough about how hard it is for the average person financially. And so I'm trying to be really deliberate about how am I pricing things? What am I seeing for my audience? What are they teaching me about their price? What do they have that's available for, you know, investment? How do I make sure that I'm 10x, 20xing what it's worth to them? I think a lot of creators get into the spot of how big could I make the price versus going how big could I make the value? So I'm going when it's a tough economy, when it's a recession, when it's inflation, whatever word you want to use, how do I add extra value? Um, and then I'm looking for um, I'm looking for money in places where I feel really qualified. So I'm going okay. Anyone on the planet can tomorrow go. I'm now an expert in this, and I'll I'll tell that on Instagram. The average person can't get a company to book them to speak at their keynote because they've never heard of them. They don't have history. So I'm going okay. Instead of getting distracted by some of the shiny stuff. Where do I lean into this? Um, and then I heard something yesterday, a sales technique that it's just, it's just blowing my mind. I had a friend say, Hey, don't offer three options. When you off, when you add the third, it becomes a thinking decision. When it's two, it's a choice. It's either or. When you add the third, somebody goes, well, I got to analyze these. I got to figure this out. And he said, look, salt and pepper. We are at a restaurant. He goes, salt and pepper. Which one do you want? 
when you have two options, it's a choice. When I add hot sauce and mayonnaise and mustard and relish, you go, oh, I got to You know what? Let me get back to you because I got to really. And so simplifying my message, simplifying what I'm offering, figuring out real pain points. I'm trying to put a bigger focus on what people really need and the pain points they're going through um, versus you know, trying to go, okay, I think this is what people want. Like spending more time going, what do they really need? And then what do I have that fixes that? Brilliant. Let's dive into goal setting, all kinds of tactical details we can get into. But at the start of your new book, you actually say, I didn't think about living up to my full potential until I was about 45 years old. Research showed that 96% of people feel like they're not living up to their full potential. And you're saying, be the 4%. Take us back to what was going through your mind when you were 45 and this idea of us reaching our potential. Yeah, it was regret that was going through my mind. We were at a college campus. I went to Stanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. I was standing next to my wife who went there too. And our oldest daughter was touring it as a potential student. And my wife said, wasn't college amazing? Wasn't it the best? And I was having the opposite experience. I was saying, no, it was a, it was a train wreck. I moved from Massachusetts to Alabama and nobody said, hey, by the way, culturally, it's going to be a little different. Massachusetts is different from Alabama. And I came in with a chip on my shoulder. I got rejected from every fraternity. I got put on social suspension for a year for a Halloween prank. I'd love to say I turned it around, but I never did. Senior year, I was really into raves. So if right now you're like, oh, like dancing with glow sticks and reflective clothing in warehouses. Yeah, exactly. That's a pretty good description. And so I was standing in that moment going, look at the potential I wasted. Look what I could have done if I had known what I know now. And so I drove home to Nashville and I had this sense of regret, but I'd recently written a book called Soundtracks about changing your thought patterns. And so I knew I get to choose what I think. And so I said, how can I, instead of sitting in this regret, what would be a positive version of this? What what could I do? And I realized those are four years and I can't change those, but I might have 40 more on tap. What could I do going forward? And that's what started it. I, Sean, I tell you and anyone watching this, especially if you're a content creator, there's three things you should look for when you create something new. One, you look for a personal connection. You look for a heart connection with yourself. The second thing is a need. Do people need it? Your audience, your neighbors, do they need it? The third, is there a spot for you in the marketplace? Can you find a spot? If you get all three of those, you're going to create something that people absolutely love. So I had the personal connection. I did the study and asked 3,000 people if they feel like they're living up their potential. They weren't. And then I checked the marketplace and a lot of books about potential are fuzzy and holistic and high level. And I'm a, what do I do with this on a Tuesday kind of guy? Like if I see a keynote, I'm like, great, great. That's inspiring. I want to be inspired. What do I actually do with this? That's why you and I get along so well is that you don't just go, YouTube's great. YouTube's, it's the future. Like you say, here's the camera. Here's the technique. Here's what we did nine years ago. Here's what we're doing. Like you're a tactical guy too. So once I had those three things, then I was like, okay, I think I can figure this out and I'm willing to spend years doing it and then talk about it for another 10 years. Well, I know here at the Think Media Podcast, we want to be in the 4% that are living up to our full potential and goals can help us get there. But before we go forward, don't you recommend that we look back? Tell us a little bit about the vision wall 
and the rear view yeah. mirror before ultimately looking forward and setting goals. Yeah. So when you realize you want to live into your potential, you run into what I call the vision wall, which is you have to know the next 10 years before you take the first step. And part of that has happened. We've misinterpreted great books like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, um, where he says, begin with the end in mind. We've misinterpreted that into, I need to know the end before I begin. You've had people say to you, Sean, I'd love to do a channel, but I don't know my perfect niche. I can't do a single video until I've got my niche dialed in. And you go, whoa, 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 do a hundred. You'll figure your niche out as you go. Like we say niche to get rich, which is like saying, Sean, what's your favorite ride at Disney? And if you said, I I've never been, I go, I know, but you have to pick your favorite ride before you've tried it. Can you imagine if you said to Sean on day one of YouTube, you have to know exactly what you'll be doing 10 years later, 12 years later, 30. like you couldn't have possibly. So you run into this vision wall and my version of fixing that was I can't look forward because it's overwhelming. It's intimidating. I feel stuck in the present. What if I looked back, which everybody tells you not to do? They say, don't look back. You're not going that direction. But you have this rich, real history to learn from. So all I did was I took a piece of paper and wrote best moments on the top of it in the Augusta, Georgia airport. And I started to list out things that lit me up, things that gave me joy, things where I felt in flow, things where I felt like I was living out of my purpose. And it started out with 10, 15, 20, and it ended up being 171 different things. And I learned self-awareness. I learned gratitude. I taught it to hundreds of people, this exercise. And Sean, there's a magical moment that happens for every single person. You automatically go, I want more of that. You see it from your past and go, I want more of that in my future. And that's where the whole thing shifts into a life plan. And you go, how do I do that on purpose? And then that's where a goal goes. I, I got you. I'm the vehicle to that. Let's, let's do it. And then you get this really fun life that's based in fact and based in you versus based in who do I want to be in 30 years, which is an impossible question to answer. So to dial in on that, that is the best moments list exercise. Yep. And so and break that down again. Like, ahead. so what exactly do I do if I'm going to do the best moments list exercise? I'm pausing this podcast or I'm pulling out a journal right now. I'm setting yeah. a timer to do this a little bit later so I can actually take action on this episode. What is the best moments list? So I'll give you a couple prompts because I never go, I never go to a blank piece of paper by myself. It's too overwhelming. Like I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy. Like if you can't write, it just means you haven't been collecting enough ideas. I always bring friends to the blank piece of paper. I never go alone. So here's a couple prompts. One would be, what's something I do where time speeds up or slows down? Like what's an activity where time speeds up or slows down? Here's another one. Um, if I had to list out my best accomplishments, what would I say? And no false humility in this. We need you like, this is your chance. The internet tells you humble brag, humble brag. The internet's, internet's okay with your sadness. It doesn't like your celebration. So I need you to say like, no, I do this thing really well. What's the best job I've ever had? Or what's the best part of a job I ever had? Um, what inspires me? What would I do for free? Like you come up with a bunch of prompts and they're small things and big things. So today, Sean, I ran, um, four miles. And when I was running, my brother called me and he's one of the few people on the planet that will have a conversation with me while I'm running. He doesn't care how loud it is. He's a runner too. That man, that was a best moment for me today. That was the best moment. There's other ones that are big. 
hitting the New York Times with sellers list. That was big. Um, opening a new notebook. Like when I get a fresh notebook and it hasn't been written in yet, that's a best moment. So you write down those and you give your head and your heart some time to do it because it's going to be challenging at first because your head and your heart are so used to finding your worst moments. And culturally, we're addicted to trauma and sadness right now. And we talk about that more than joy. Like for every 100 scientific studies on sadness, there's only one written on joy. We as a culture have ricocheted from not feeling at all to all you can feel is sadness and joy. And so it'll take a little while because it's counterintuitive, but you just create this big list. And then where it gets really fun is you'll recognize every one of your moments fits in one of four things, one of four categories, experience, accomplishment, relationship, and object. And I'll give you a metaphor. If you go on a hike, like say you hike some trail in Vegas because you love Vegas and it's beautiful and you're by yourself, that's an experience. If you go, say you go with Ryan Pineda, and you get to encourage each other and you pour into him and he pours into you. That's a relationship moment. The the person made the moment. If you hike it faster than you've ever hiked it because you track it on Garmin and or Strava, that's an accomplishment. If you picked up a pine cone because you wanted to remember that moment, that's an object. So what happens is I have people categorize the list. So the first thing is come up with the list. Second thing, just categorize. Was that relationship? Why did I put that on there? Was it people? Was that accomplishment? And then all of a sudden, people go, wow, I didn't realize 60% of my list was accomplishment. I grew up in a house where accomplishments were supposed to be downplayed. Like, my parents didn't like us to, like, I didn't want to outshine my brother, whatever. I didn't know I was an accomplishment person. This list has taught me, or, wow, 80% was a relationship. I've been isolated for three years with COVID. No wonder I'm in a funk. My heart, when I ask my heart, what are the best things that happened to me the last 10 years? 80% were accomplishment or relationship, no wonder. And so once you have that, then you go, okay, I'm going to figure out going forward, how do I get more relationships? Or how do I be deliberate about accomplishments? Or how do I make sure that I'm in a community? So it becomes this really honest personality test that gives you the path forward. Man, such a tactical exercise. We can look in our rear view mirror and look backwards to really prepare to launch forwards as we set goals. Before we get into some technical goal setting, I'm curious your take on the power of goals. I mean, I think we all know setting goals is incredibly powerful. Apparently in 2013, Tom Holland said he'd like to play Spider-Man down the line, and he specifically said in 10 years time. So he set a goal, he declared it, but it ended up actually coming sooner. Jennifer Lopez, at the beginning of her acting career, had a goal to star in rom romantic comedies, uh, but because she was Puerto Rican, Latina, and she saw that it was really all white women in romantic comedies at the time, she set out and set a goal and ultimately went on to be a star in many box office rom-coms, uh, notably 21, 2001's The Wedding Planner. So we have seen this across the board of the power of goals. Go high level with me. Of, of really what's waiting for us on the other side of goals, the why of taking the time to do it and what you've discovered. Well, I mean, you're, you're designed for it. Um, I, you know, let's just talk to the men for a minute. Uh, a man um, without a mission doesn't stop fighting. He just turns the battle inward and starts fighting himself and the people in his, in his, and his loved ones. Like you're meant to have a purpose. People who are living with purpose are scientifically happier. They're scientifically more connected to relationships. So a lot of this is going, okay, 
I need a purpose. Like I know, like I've had probably five or six men in my circle who in their mid forties lose a job or something happens and they never kind of get it back. And it's watching a slow train wreck. And everybody listening to this right now or watching this has a friend who's in the same position. Like one of the hardest things um, in life is watching someone you love make life harder than it needs to be. And so a goal is that path. And so I'll just give you my version of it in my own life. I'm 34. I have two kids under the age of four. I've hit a career ceiling. There's nowhere else to go. I'm a senior content designer. There's no super duper senior content designer. I don't want to manage people and be a creative director. I'm stuck. I make very little money. Um, we have, I have an hour commute each way in Atlanta, no time. And people change by one of two ways. Involuntary crisis, something disastrous happens, divorce, health crisis, they lose their job, or a voluntary trick. You trick yourself out of the comfort zone. You get a taste of something and go, I want more of that. Like you did that, that happened to you with YouTube. Like you figure like, oh, I want more of that. That wasn't your path. You worked at a church, dude. Like there was no, you, there's not 50 Sean Canals that are like, oh, the classic YouTube empire path that all people who work at churches take. Like, so for me, no one changes just because no one ever wakes up and goes, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to have more willpower. I'm going to have more sacrifice persistence. What happens is you often get a taste of something you want more and then you start to pursue it. So I started blogging a little bit just on a whim, not with a, not with a plan. And I thought, wow, this, this makes me like, I feel really engaged. I feel there's a whole world of people. That's what happens to everybody on YouTube. And so I didn't decide to get up early because I was disciplined. I decided to get up early because I mean, I got to blog more and the joy was deep and rich and full. I didn't stop watching as much TV because I was disciplined. It just wasn't as fulfilling as blogging. And so what happens is when you discover a goal you care about, your time becomes like a log and you want to throw as many logs into the fire as you can to make the blaze as big and as bright. And that person is alive. Like that's where people start going, what are you doing? Like the first couple months, people will eventually go, what are you doing? Eventually they go, will you show me how to do what you're doing? That's your story, dude. Like you had that thing where people, it switched from I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And it always starts with self. It always leads to service. What happened for you? You were like, I think I could teach other people how to tap in. You found a fountain of youth that lit you up. And so that's why you do a goal. Like you do a goal because you're designed to do goals. It makes you come alive. It helps. It's contagious. Like, that's the thing. I worked for Dave Ramsey for three years. Dude, we would have people come up at events and go, man, Dave Ramsey saved my marriage. And we'd be like, what? Like, he didn't write a marriage book. But when you work on your finances, guess what? Your marriage improves. When you work on your health, guess what? Your finances improve. Like, joy is contagious. Discipline's contagious. Goals are contagious. So, like, if you said, why should we work on goals? Because it changes every part of your life. And it's hard to see that at the beginning. It can be overwhelming at the beginning, but I would never tell you that at the beginning. Like the last thing I'd say about this, I did a book signing with John Maxwell once, like 15 years ago. I did 15 minutes on stage. He did 45. And then they put us next to each other in a lobby to do a book signing. And there were 200 people in his line. And there was nobody in my line. A sin there wasn't a single person who came over to buy my book. That was very humbling, disheartening, all the words that mean super sad. And a dude patted me on the back the stranger and said, Hey, 10 years, buddy, 10 years. And that was accurate, but discouraging because he was right. It was going to take me 10 years more of being disciplined, all the things, but it was discouraging because I couldn't, I couldn't handle the decade promise in that moment. I just needed to do the next day. So what I tell you is try a goal, do the next day. 
I think you'll get a month in, a year in, a decade in and be thrilled you did. Um, but I wouldn't say you got to start with the decade first. I'd say, what if you start with the day? Let's just start with today. You break down goals into three categories, easy goals, middle goals, guaranteed goals. Mm -hmm. So now if we understand the power of goals, we want to get started. Why different categories and how can these be helpful? Well, you got to think about it like a ladder. Sean, if somebody say you were going to clean your leaves out of your gutter and a neighbor let you borrow the ladder and they brought it over and it only had one rung on the bottom and rung on one rung at the top and was just empty in between. They said, here you go. Here's the ladder. You go, this is useless. I can't do anything with this. That's what most people do. So they go day one. And then I want to have a million YouTube subscribers. I want a plaque. So I don't have any steps in between. I have no rungs. And you go, how are you going to get up there? And they go, I'm just going to believe. I'm going to believe in myself. And my thing is, what if we took easy goals, middle goals, guaranteed goals, and built a lot of rungs on that goal ladder? Like if we had a rung every six inches, would that be an easier ladder to climb? Like I think it, I think it would. Would that be an easier ladder for you to get to the top of? I think it would. And so I'll give you a specific YouTube example. You, you know, you do your first couple videos. That's an easy goal. Like you don't, you don't overcommit. You don't say, I'm going to do, I know people say the same thing they say to me. They like, they go, man, I'm going to do 10 videos a day or like, I'm going to do a video. And you go, how many did you do last month? They go, none. But going forward, like Sean, I'm serious. I'm going to do three a day for the next year. And you go, man, I don't, that's going to be really hard to maintain the quality, the pace. Like I just, what if you did like one a week for four weeks and then the second four week cycle, you did two a week. And then the third week cycle, you did three a week and you build up. That's what it's like to do an easy goal that gets to a middle goal and then gets to a guaranteed goal. It's just about your time commitment, the effort you're making, the investment you're making as you climb the ladder. And once you get to the middle of the ladder and those middle goals, you can see some big, crazy goals that aren't aren't impossible. Like I'm going to sell a million books in my career, but I didn't say that on day one. I'd said that a couple books in and was like, I think I can do this. I think I can do this. Like it might take me longer than I want, but like I'm already in the middle of the ladder. What's going to stop me from climbing? Like I'm going to keep climbing. Like you're not going to stop making YouTube videos. Like for you to go like, it's going to be 10 million, 20 million, 30 million. That's not impossible. That's a guarantee at this point. So that's what I mean by the three types of goals. And there's specific things related to each, but in a general sense, it's about building that ladder and then climbing to the top. I'm curious, uh, one of the things we encourage our listeners is the difference between results goals and action goals. A results yeah. goal being, I want to get my first 1,000 subscribers, which there's so many practical steps you can take, but the timeline on that could vary. Um, it might yeah. be a week for one person, and it might be a year for another. But an action goal, I'm going to post a video a week, is not based on results, Externally, it's 100% based on just your ability to execute. Do you have a way of articulating that and explaining which one is both powerful? And when you write your goals, do you have both? Do you have sort of actions, but also the dream result, amount of books sold, amount of followers, grow, grow my channel this much this year? How do you differentiate between those. Yeah. So I love that this, the soundtrack and everybody should just write this down on a post-it note is I'm the CEO of my actions, not the CEO of my outcomes. I am the CEO of my actions, not the CEO of my outcomes. So I know that to be true. Like I didn't, you mentioned earlier, 
that COVID wrecked my speaking. It was the best year I had ever lined up. I had, the events were booked. It wasn't theoretical. Like it was booked. I drove home. I did comedy opening up for Dolly Parton at the Ryman in Nashville. And I drove home that night and I said to myself, this is only February. The rest of the year is going to be amazing. And it was like the narrator was like, it was not, in fact, to be amazing at all. And so I didn't control that. So what I did control was doing a podcast, was film, filming, you know, virtual events, whatever. So I love action-based goals. Um, what I found is I like to have a mix of both depending on the goal. So I, you know, it's funny, Anthony O'Neill's big YouTuber that I like. He's a sharp dude. And we were talking about this on his, on his channel. He said, you know, John, I set a goal to have a million subscribers by a certain date and we're going to miss the date. And I said, well, that's just is going to mean it's three months sweeter. Like that's your reframe. If it takes me three months longer, dude, it's three months sweeter. The story just got three months better. Like instead of going and I hustled for a year, you go, dude, I hustled for 18 months. Like that sentence hits hard, dude. You have to reframe it that way. So with me, I go, say my running goal. Like I want to run, I want to move my body a thousand miles a year. That's, that's a, a pretty general goal for me, which usually means about 650 running, 350 walking. So that's a big results goal. But my weekly action goal is I want to work out five times a week. So that's a weekly action I can get excited about. I don't get excited about the big number that much because it feels far away. Dude, in January, when you've done like 42 and you look at a thousand, that's discouraging. So I always say, look at the thing that lights you up. Look at the goal measurement that fires you up. And if finishing your video that week fired you up, Awesome. You went one for one on that week. Like lean into that. And then once you get to a spot where you're like, nah, the result, the big result, like, oh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. I can't wait to do that. So I usually do a mix of them, but I start people with the action because I want you to start with the thing you can control. I want you to start with the thing you can kind of lean into and go, this is on me. Because a big part of goal, Sean, is learning to take personal responsibility. Learning, like one of the phrases I say is, I am the CEO of me and I'm the best boss. I'm the CEO of me and I'm the best boss because I'm constantly tempted to blame other people. Like I got that blame, that blame bug in me and I'm constantly tempted to do that. And I want to go, no, 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 no. So like an example of that, I sometimes when I'm trying to hide from difficult work will blame my schedule. So what I'll do is I'll overfill my schedule so I don't have time to write the book because the book is hard to write. And so I'll hide from the book out of fear by overfilling my schedule. And then I get to blame the schedule. Then I get to go, man, I'd be crushing this YouTube channel if I wasn't so busy. I got all these other things. And now it's not my fault. I'm a victim of the calendar. And then you go, wait a second. What if I admitted the responsibility I have, admitted the ability I have, and I, and I did a little bit more planning and admitted I'm afraid and then do something different. So I'm always trying to get people to take responsibility and actions are something you control. Hey, we're about to get back into the podcast in just a second, but I have a question for you. Do you want to grow your personal brand this year? Do you need more leads and sales in your business? If the answer is yes, then right now is the best time to go all in on YouTube. Today's podcast is brought to you by thinkmasterclass.com, where you can get on-demand access to a one-hour deep dive training revealing how to start and grow a profitable YouTube channel this year. For a limited time, you can get access to this on-demand class entirely for free, where you 
will learn the three biggest mistakes that people make when starting a YouTube channel. The new rules and changes that have been happening on YouTube and how you can use them to create an unfair advantage. And the exact strategy we use at Think Media to generate over 350,000 organic views every single day. The data is clear. 70% of viewers claim that YouTube makes them more aware of new brands. So don't wait any longer to start growing your brand and business with YouTube. Just go to thinkmasterclass.com to get access to this no-fluff, highly tactical, free on-demand training. That's thinkmasterclass.com. Brilliant. Um, Your mentality towards goal setting, of course, is revealing the power, the potential of it how much it can change our lives. But I want to kind of set up a challenge and see how you would respond. Yeah. John Acuff versus Adam Grant, because yeah. he actually highlighted a problem with the practice of goal setting. And he said that when you fall mm-hmm. short of an objective, disappointment can send you spiraling in troublesome ways and research backs that up. And that when you set goals in the first place, it can actually limit you. So as a Wharton organizational psychologist, Adam Grant says that sometimes when you set a goal, it creates tunnel vision and it blinds you to alternative goals. And so in light of this, what, what do you, would you say to some of the objections and challenges with goal setting specifically some of the points that Adam made. Yeah, well, I mean, one, he's wicked smart. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts. That means very, if you didn't grow up in Massachusetts. Yeah, he's brilliant. So it's hard for me to argue with specifics of what he said. What I would say is, um, I think it depends on the person. I always think like sometimes people say to me, they go, I don't like goals. And I'll go, what do you like instead? They'll go, I like intentions. I go, what's an intention? They go, you figure out three things you want to do and then you hold yourself accountable. I'll go, that sounds a lot like a goal. Or they'll go, I don't like goals. I like habits. I don't care what word you use if you get the thing done. Like I really, I really don't. So for me, um, as far as like, does it limit you? Um, I guess in how you said it, I would a hundred percent agree with him that Um, there's right ways to set goals and there's wrong ways. So, you know, I don't like any brush where I go, oh, goals, goals are bad or goals are good. I think that they can be both. I think that people can be compulsive about beautiful things. One of the reasons I don't run marathons is I'm a very compulsive person and I can do half marathons because that fits my life. It fits my training schedule. If I open the door to full marathons, I will train until I can't run anymore. Like I will not stop. I know myself like, so I would never say marathons are bad. A lot of people love them and can do them and aren't compulsive like me. My wife is like, dude, you would be up at 3 a.m. You would be obnoxious. You would be in ultra marathons. You would be in the woods for a hundred miles. Like I know that's where you'd go. So knowing my personality, I'm like, nah, dude, half marathon is my jam. So like, as far as do goals hold people back or limit how they do, I could totally see that if you do them the wrong way. Um, And then the other thing is the disappointment. So part of the joy of an easy goal is the disappointment is so small. So what happens in my opinion, it's really weird to set a new year's resolution because often you're trying to do something you haven't done for 365 days. Like, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. Like that's, that's instant failure. And, or the other fear is people go, I don't want to pick the wrong thing. We're afraid of what Covey said, putting the ladder against the wrong wall, getting to the top of the ladder and go, oh, this is the wrong wall. But that's why I say, try it for seven days. If you try, if I get you to try something half an hour a day for seven days and after three and a half hours, you go, yeah, wasn't my jam. Awesome, dude. 
We just eliminated a goal that wasn't going to serve you. Let's do a different one. You're not crushed after those seven days. You go, I can't believe that instead of scrolling Instagram, I was on a, I worked on a goal for three and a half days. Like I'm devastated. I'd much rather you try it and experiment. So I think one of the ways you get around that thing Adam's saying is a concern is speed dating. Like speed date goals, dude. Try a bunch of goals. Let a winner step to the forefront. If you approach goals from a marriage only perspective, you will be disappointed. How do you deal with opportunity overwhelm? Um, two sides to that. One, for some, they're trying to get into success that could lead to opportunity overwhelm. So I don't necessarily mean too many invites or too yeah. much money or something like this, but I think there's two categories. There's the one of everybody listening to this right now is being inundated with the opportunity to read a lot of good books and follow a lot of frameworks, the opportunity to build their brand on a lot of platforms, the opportunity to cover a lot of different topics, uh, the opportunity to start a lot of side hustles. Let me chase AI right now. Let me chase Amazon. Let me chase YouTube. Um, let me chase this event or that event or this network. And it's only getting worse. It's not getting better. There's so much opportunity. And then also with more success or just more growth as the prophet and philosopher notorious BIG said, you know, more mo money, more problems. Like you just, you start having more opportunity coming your way. So do you have like an opportunity framework that you use um, that could also be helpful for us. Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of things. One, again, put this soundtrack on a post-it note. My imagination is bigger than my calendar. Like that's why you feel overwhelmed. It will always feel that way, dude. Your imagination is endless. It is bottomless. We've had the same calendar for the last 700 years. So, and then you add it to other people's imaginations and then you add it to tools like YouTube and then you add it to chat GPT. Like you should, that's not a bad thing. Like I tell my core, like we have a, a goal community called uh, the Guarantee Goal Communities. I always tell them we're too many people. Yeah, we're too many people. We're always going to have too many things. That's not failure. That's a sign you're alive. I love people that have too many things that have like, I, those are my people. I, where I messed up over the last five years, probably Sean, is I used to teach people how to brainstorm goals. And that was a huge mistake. And here's what was a mistake because they already had too many. And so imagine you feel overwhelmed and you come to me and I go, Hey, you know how you feel overwhelmed? What if we added a hundred new goals? I surveyed my audience. The average person had 22.8 goals, 22.8. You ever try to juggle 22 balls at a time? It's very challenging. So one, take the sting of disappointment or surprise out of it. You're going to have too many. Just accept that. There's not going to be less a year from now, dude. There's going to be some hologram platform that you're like, dude, we tested it. I think we tested it. I don't know, man. Like it's only going to get more intense. And so I think as far as like, I wish I had a perfect framework that was really clear. But what I would say is that I think you have to review what you're doing in regular intervals to make sure you're still on the right thing. So what I like, I don't want you to review at the end of the year and go, man, I spent a lot of time on something that didn't matter. I'd much rather you go, it's the end of the week. Okay. Am I still in my zone? It's the end of the month. Am I still in my zone? Um, and so what that looks like for me also is like, there's some things I do that are B plus. One of the things I push back against that so many people say, how you do anything is how you do everything. That's not true. 
how I treat the neighborhood kids is very different than how I treat my own kids. It is. It's very different. Like how I rake my yard is different than how I write books. It takes me a thousand hours to write a book. It's such a like perfectionistic thing. The reality is, Sean, if you're going to be busy, some things are going to get B plus and they deserve it. Like my podcast, I know if I spent 40 hours a week on it, it would be better. It would, it would be better. But I know that I've carved out a really special public speaking career that I love that few people get access to. And I, I value that and I treasure that. My clients, my speaking clients deserve A+. plus. My books deserve A+. plus. My podcast, I do the best with the amount of time it deserves. But if I spent 40 hours a week on it, I would go out of business pretty quickly because I'd have to start phoning in other things that actually mattered. So part of what you have to do with opportunity costs is go, which of these things have the ROI that I need? Which of these things deserve my time? Can I retire some? Also, you should retire stuff. Like you should get out of stuff. Like the way I look at it is if you don't enjoy it, you're not good at it and it doesn't make money. That is the trifecta of things you should quit. It's one thing if you enjoy it and you suck at it, you'll get better at it. You'll have the passion. It's another thing if you hate it, you're terrible at it, and it doesn't make you money. Like that's where, and so the other, the last thing I'd say, opportunity cost is often um, put to bed by data. And like what I say, the phrase I say is data kills denial, which prevents disaster. So I would dare you to look at data and go, okay, I got 50 things I can do. Let me look at the data. Now, the problem is, Sean, we don't understand that some of the people we look up to have massive teams. Let's just pick one, one person that we both admire and respect and love. And he spoke at your event, Gary Vee. I meet people who compare themselves to Gary Vee. He has like 900 employees. So the next time you do that, imagine you're driving past a nine-story corporate building and you go, that's who I'm competing with. I just got to do as well as that building. You would never do that. You would never go, I'm up against 900 full-time staff. But when you see a video online and you go, that dude's everywhere. He's doing so much. You don't give yourself credit. He has a nine, like if you played basketball against 900 people, would you score a single point? Of course not, but we forget that. And Gary's not even saying that. He's very open about, I have a big team. It's not that, it's just we misinterpret it. So that's the other thing about opportunity costs. Look at the data. This thing's not making me money and it's costing me a ton of time. Just the other day, this is so funny you asked this question. The pro, and I'm, this drives me nuts. People go, John, you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving money on the table. And they'll point out something. They'll go, it's really easy. It's easy. You should just do it. And they act like there's a million dollars on the table that I just need to reach my hand out and that, and I can just grab it. Like there's no effort. No. And so somebody, there was a product. I won't say which product because we're still talking about it. And they were like, we should do this product. We should do this product. And they were like, so and so does it. And they've sold a million. And so I knew, I knew somebody on so and so's team. And so I go, Hey, how many people work on that product? I'm just curious. They go, 12 people full time. I go, okay, 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 cool, cool. And then I went back to the person. I was like, dude, we have nobody in that department on that product. We'd have to staff up 12 full time people. Don't say it's easy just because it seems easy. The data, once I had some data though, dude, like here's it, here's the last, this is my last data trick. Somebody was like, dude, you should do a live event. Like, and you've done a live event. It worked really well. Somebody was like, hey, you should do a live event where it's just you. It's in our town. And here's the numbers. I ran the numbers and I would have to charge because I don't have sponsorship relationships right now. Like the way I do my stuff isn't, doesn't have a ton of sponsorships. 
I would have to charge $1,500 a ticket for this event to be profitable. And then I did a price comparison and like global leadership summit was like 250 and they have like Bob Iger and like all the, and I was like, I'm just going to be six times their price with just me. And like that, then it'll, and I was like, no, the numbers, will I do an event someday? Yeah, I probably will when I can figure out the numbers. But what I see is when people don't look at the numbers and they go, I'm just going to believe in the best. And like, they act like math. I mean, but dude, that's just human nature. People don't go to the doctor when they feel sick because they don't want to find out they're sick. So they just get sicker because they don't want to look at the data. So like the faster you can make friends with the data, the better you can make better decisions. And then you can actually build something that has a ton of opportunity. That was like, I can't wait to see you try to cut these into like 60 second clips or Instagram. Cause these are, I'm just like, ah, but I think it'll be fun. That one was fire. I'm glad to get you triggered. And I actually was having kind of like a, a vision of you in the future as you were talking. You're such a wordsmith and you're already at like this place of being so sharp with your words and quotes and phrases. But I feel like sometime in the future, Many people will travel from around the world to walk up like 200 flights of stairs and you'll just be sitting at the top with, I don't know if you're a pet guy, like a cat or like a dog next to you <laughs> and you'll just, and, and you'll, and you'll just be like dispensing wisdom and somebody will come to ask you a question about life and you'll yeah. be like, well, here's the soundtrack for that, you know, yeah, and you just drop so it. Funny. And so you're developing that that's now, so but I'm funny. like, what does that look like in 10 to 20 years? I've got the gray hair, but dude, it's going to take me 10 more, 10 more years. You're right. It's going to take some time. And then you have to figure out the location. I don't know if there's any like you know, pyramids in Nashville that people could I'll just build the staircase. It won't even be connected to a building. It'll just be <laughs> stairs off into space. Just, and they'll be like, you ever go up those space stairs? John Hickenfield in the middle of the, in the middle of middle Tennessee. And yeah. Like whatever problem you have though, if you can endure the climb, you will, it'll yeah, pay off with so wisdom funny. at the top. So, you know, it's actually, um, I'm curious your thoughts on visualization as it relates to goal setting, picturing your future. Both Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jim Carrey have referenced a lot to visualization. Uh, when Arnold Schwarzenegger won Mr. Universe, uh, he said before he won it, he walked around the tournament acting like he owned it and saying the title was already mine. And he said he had won it so many times in his mind, there was no doubt that he could win it. He did the same thing in movies. He visualized himself becoming a famous actor, earning big money. He could feel and taste success, and he knew it would happen. And Carey was, Jim Carey uh, acknowledged for picturing himself as rich, famous, and successful before it happened. And when Oprah Winfrey was interviewing him, he said he would drive around Los Angeles visualizing things coming to him that he wanted, he had nothing but time, and he said, but it did make him feel better. He would drive and think, I do have those things that are out there. And he wrote himself a check for $10 million again, dreaming of the money that would come his way. And he dated that Thanksgiving 1995. And right before the actual Thanksgiving 1995, he found out he was going to make $10 million on a film project. Is this woo-woo or is there something actual true to these actions and this visualization stuff? Yeah. So I used to think it was the dumbest thing ever because, again, cynical, sarcastic, negative. Um, but then I started to talk to people I respected who were further ahead of me on on paths and a lot of them did a version of this. And so I started to really study it. So now I think there's always parts of this stuff that heads into the woo-woo. And I'm a pretty like feet on the ground kind of dude. Um, and so for me, the vert, like, yes, I believe in the power of visualization. The way I think about it is like doing a dry run of an event before the event happens. So let's make it really practical. 
the when I'm on stage at a speech, I've already given that speech five times. Like that's the sixth time. Like I already know it's going to work because it's already worked. Whether I've done it physically, because sometimes like I'll rehearse every speech I do. I'm in the clothes. I'm walking up. I'm pausing for laughs. I'm in my office. Nobody's laughing, but I'm getting the timing right. I'm doing like, so by the time I have muscle memory, by the time I get up on stage, but there's also that moment where you're sitting there going, okay, yeah, man, it's going to be fun. And then I'm going to walk over there and then I'm going to do this. So you can practice that in your mind too. So I do both things. And that's just a form of visualization. The other thing I'd say is there's so much research about having a picture you're aiming for. And so the picture can be like one of the exercises I do is, okay, it's December 31st and I'm sitting with my neighbor, Bill, because we work on our goals together and we're on his porch. What do I want to be able to say? What are the numbers I want to be able to say? Do I want to be able to say, I did the 650 miles. Like I ran the, do I want to be able to like, what's the kind of character I want to have this year? Like I'm the kind of guy that blank. I'm the kind of guy that, and I form, and I'll write out a picture of this is who I'm going to be on December 31st as I reflect on the year that I'm about to enter into. And again, it's another exercise for me to go, yeah, that's who I want to be. Because I think it's really hard to be that person unless you practice believing you're that person. And so my thing with things that are woo woo, and you and I have the same faith, like I'm a Christian. So like, it's not like I'm getting like, like I have a pretty clear set of things I believe, but I'm, I'm willing to test things. I think when I was younger, I was faster to dismiss something without testing it. And now I see that as the ignorance of youth. So when I would go, that doesn't work and I hadn't tried it, that's, that's ignorant. Like I haven't, you know, like, and if it's not in dis, like, if it's not in disagreement with my faith, why wouldn't I go, I'm going to write down the 10 characteristics. Some might even call them fruit, Sean, of uh, my life that I want to be true. And I'm going to review them. And I think every time I review them, it'll be easier to do that. I'll give you an example of how this happened for me. So I had a visualization of doing an event. I was going to an event in California and Marcus Buckingham was one of the other speakers. Marcus Buckingham, strength finder, sold millions of books, very successful. And I knew in that moment I'd be insecure. I knew in that moment I'd want to impress him. I, I'd try to read my resume. I'd try to say New York Times bestseller, whatever it was, I'd feel insecure. And I knew that because I'd done that before. I, I'd seen myself like the Catalyst. There was a big event called Catalyst and the green room at Catalyst was my worst nightmare because I felt so insecure. I felt like I had to connect. I had to like, I got to work my way up the popularity ladder, whatever. So I said, okay, I don't want to do that. What can I do instead? And I was like, what if instead I figured out how to honor Marcus Buckingham? So I'm imagining him. I'm in that green room. How could I honor him? And I was like, oh, he's an author. Why don't I just read his latest book? Like no other speakers read each other's books. What if I just read his book? And when I see him, the only thing I do instead of trying to brag or show off is ask him questions about his book. And so that's what I did. And when I got there, the first thing I said to him was, I think your most recent book is your most personal book you've ever written. Do you agree? And that changed the entire event for me. And so now every morning, one of the questions I ask myself is, who can I honor today? Who can I bless? And I just look through my calendar. I'm visualizing, oh, I'm going to be in a real conversation with Sean. What does it look like for me to honor him? I'm going to be in a real conversation with the dry cleaner. What does it look like for me to honor them? I'm visualizing that moment so that when the moment comes up, I'm not surprised by the moment. I already had like my brain goes, oh, we, we've already been through this moment 10 times. Let's go. And then I just run that script 
And it doesn't work perfectly all the time. Of course not. But it works a lot better than just stumbling through my day. I want to kind of go back to something you said. And as we land the plane, just talk a little bit about about putting in the work and this idea of pursuit of mastery. You've got New York Times uh, bestseller on your resume, nine books out. Um, you're consistently able to deliver results. And one of the things you mentioned was even rehearsing your talks and keynotes. You mentioned being in what you were wearing, pausing for comedic timing. You could speak maybe a little bit to what you've done in your career to actually really step up in terms of excellence. And I think that sometimes I would never want our community. I don't think we underestimate the work we encourage people to put into YouTube or the effort, but sometimes the messaging gets mixed. Like, Hey, just start a channel, just lob some videos out there, but the bar is raising. And I kind of want to relate this to, I'm not sure if you heard, but, uh, Taylor Swift, who's making all these, Massive headlines, broke records, most profitable tour with the Eras tour. It was changing economies as far as restaurants and hotels selling out. Pretty dramatic across, you know, the country. But she actually revealed how she trained for her three and a half hour concert. And she actually trained singing on a treadmill as the actions needed for a certain song were more difficult. She would increase the incline for fast songs. She would, uh, you know, maybe, uh, go a little bit faster, a fast walk or a jog. And she would sing her entire set on a treadmill for critics. I think oftentimes might say, Oh, you know, it's her looks. Oh, she got lucky. Oh, I don't like Taylor. But sometimes I think people underestimate the amount of work and hustle that goes uh, behind the scenes. And you would love this runner's world. Actually, it was all estimates, but runner's world actually um, thought that she was running for about they, they uh, looked at the set. They looked at the workout she was doing, and it was about three hours and 15 minutes and about a marathon. They, they, they at about a nine Oh nine pace that Amazing. she was running a marathon every time she did her, um, era's tour. And so looking at someone, 12 Grammys, all this other stuff, it's easy for people to be armchair critics, not realizing maybe the price that it cost to move into greatness levels and mastery levels, unpack that from your perspective and maybe encouraging, you know, yeah, let's set goals. Okay, yeah, I'm telling you to start a YouTube channel and get committed in 2024. Yeah. Great. But what's it really cost to actually put out great content, be great on YouTube, write great books, unpack mastery for us a little bit? Yeah, so I'll give you a phrase that, that'll make it easier. Do less of what you like and more of what you love. Do less of what you like and more of what you love. That's one of the keys to mastery. I like Netflix. I like, like, I like three hours of Netflix. But dude, I love holding a finished book in my hand. I love when I get a foreign edition from like Greece and I, it's a different cover and somebody in Athens is getting encouraged by something I wrote in Nashville. So I try to do less of what I like and more of what I love. That helps me with mastery because I want to do other stuff that's distracting or easier or whatever. But for me, I'm willing to pay the long-term price because the long-term payout is so worth it. Like it's the ROI is so good. So I think that anyone I've worked with that has a high degree of excellence is 
doing their version of that Taylor Swift interaction. So let me give you an example. Um, Greg, Greg Sankey, he's the SEC commissioner, probably the most successful athletic commissioner in the history of college football. He negotiated the Texas, Oklahoma joining the SEC. He led like schools playing during COVID, which kind of changed the whole sporting world. One of the nicest people I've ever met. The week that I was on his podcast, or the week that the Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC billion-dollar deal, he wrote me a handwritten thank you note for being on my podcast. And I said to my wife, isn't it crazy guys like that still send thank you notes? And she goes, no, you got it backwards. He's at that level because he sends thank you notes. And so then when I saw Greg at the SEC um, basketball tournament, and I told him about the, the notes... He was like, oh, yeah, you mean these? He had a stack of them in his suit coat pocket. During timeouts of the game, he was writing thank you notes because he knows that's part of his process. And so, like, I'll give you a, a music one. I went and saw Garth Brooks. And even if you don't like country, you have to respect what he's accomplished. And, like, we went and in the middle of the show, Trisha Yearwood, his wife, slaps him on the butt. And the crowd goes nuts. Like, ah, you know. And I go, I wonder if that was planned. And so I, I text my buddy and I go, Hey, you came to Garth Brooks last night. Did Trisha Yearwood slap him on the butt? And he goes, yeah, totally. I go, which song? And he says the exact moment. And so what I think happened was they did it once and it worked and then they made it part of their plan. That's how detailed these people are. That's how dedicated to the craft they are. And so I think that, and you're right, that's the part you often don't see, which I try my best to talk about in a way that's interesting because I don't want it to be discouraging. I really don't want to discourage you that it's going to take a lot of work. Like I want you to get into it and enjoy it because I think seeing like there's a magic dude to your first hundred views. Like there just is like there's a moment in YouTube where you go, we had people from Malaysia. I don't even, I've never, I couldn't find it on a mat. Like, and dude, that lights you up. There's a moment. I want you to have those moments. And then as you have those and you have enough joy and momentum, then you can kind of go, all right, so let's talk about, let's expand the excellence a little bit. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's what it's going to do. But dude, when you find something that you've got a joy for that, like the, another line I say is, I want you to find a goal you love so much it makes Netflix boring. Like, cause Netflix is pretty freaking amazing. Imagine if you found something you loved even more, like what? And so like, I had more 5 a.m. flights um, in one week than I did in 15 years of working for other people. In one week, working for myself. And my wife was like, if a boss made you work as hard as you work for yourself, you'd be furious at them. And I'm like, I know, but I'm still like, I love filming videos at like 3.45 a.m. when I'm headed to the airport. And I'm like, dude, let's go. Let's go. Because the thing I get to do, I spend my entire year to be on stage 50 times for about an hour. So my entire year, 365 days for 50 hours, that's a trade I make and it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So I always tell people like find something that even makes the things you don't like, like tolerable. I don't like delayed flights. I'm not a maniac. Like I'm not going to lie to you and be like, every time I get canceled on a flight, I go to Milwaukee and I smile that like, no, of course not. It's frustrating. But if I can quickly go, what did we say at the beginning? I touched the goal a thousand times. If I can go, no, no, remember you get to be on stage. Like remember you're going to go get to encourage a bunch of people. Remember, that's why you're doing this. Then the this doesn't sting as much. It's still challenging. I still have to motivate myself. I still have to use tips and tools and advice and encouragement. I still get down, all the stuff. But if I can keep my eyes on that thing, 
Um, then I can go, oh, you're right. I'm going to do the flight. I am going to do the hard work. I am going to do the rehearsal. And a, a phrase I say um, to myself all the time is excellence is boring. Excellence is boring. I used to think when I was younger, it's shiny. It's not. It's running in the rain. It's thank you notes um, that you'll never hear back about. It's putting context into a sales system. Like it's, you know, editing great captions. It's not just like everyone that's into YouTube knows the parts they love and they know the parts they hate. And they're like, oh, this caption. I'm not a writer. I'm a performer. Oh, this edit. Like it's all those little things, all those little things again and again and again and again. Um, but it's worth it in the long run. Excellence is boring. It's running on a treadmill and singing for three hours over and over to build your endurance. Six months before the first show, dude. Yeah. Like, talk about long, delayed gratification. Yeah. She could have done a show that day and got in a quick dopamine hit. She could have shown up live anywhere and gone, I just want some crowd adoration. I'm going to perform a couple songs. She said, no, nah, I'm going to pay six months for what's going to ripple for years, dude. Like that's, what's really fun to me about somebody like a Taylor is the willingness to put off the instant gratification for the bigger payoff later. We veered off my notes, but so many gems were dropped and I encourage, especially at the timing of this podcast coming out. But of course this is being watched all times throughout the year, maybe in the future, maybe even in subsequent years, the book is all it takes is a goal, the three-step plan to ditch regret and tap into your massive potential. Uh, check it out in the show notes. And one of the best moves you can make is grab the audiobook and just start listening on Audible and grab a journal and start taking action. Of course, uh, digital, physical, uh, all the different things. We'll link that up in the show notes down below. We also have a previous episode with John and his books are like, you just never miss it. So there's like that consistency to them. Soundtracks is another legendary book to get your mind right, your mindset right even switch up some of your soundtracks and uh, many others. And so uh, check out show notes. Um, and then John, let us know though, just really want to acknowledge you for putting so much work in, for making hard things easy, for making complex subjects simple. I mean, that's a definition of mastery and truly understanding something that communicating something complex in a complex way is not the difficult the challenge. Taking the complex, distilling it down into all these wordsmithed statements is so powerful and so helpful to us. And thank you for adding value to our community. Besides the book, uh, what else can people check out that we can link up in the show notes? Yeah. So I mentioned we have an all-year program called the Guaranteed Goals Community. It's just johnacuff.com slash goals. And it's kind of like the Home Depot of goals. So it's a ton of content, but it's a lot of community. So I found when it comes to goals... Um, when somebody's into goals or curious about goals, it's often an isolating experience because nobody in their immediate community is either. And so it's hundreds of people from around the world encouraging each other as they finish massive goals. Um, that's really fun. Then I have a podcast called, uh, All It Takes is a Goal, where I talk about these topics. Um, and obviously it's something I'm passionate about because I really believe goals can change your life and they changed mine. And I always say I'm a late bloomer who discovered them in the power in the in my mid thirties. And now I'm trying to help other people do it a lot faster. John Acuff, ladies and gentlemen, Think Media Podcast, of course, like, rate, share, review, comment, wherever you watch or listen. Thank you so much for being a part of our community and we'll connect in a future episode.